Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. First, I wanted to say a big thank you to all of you for coming, because uh, in these days, Israelis, many Israelis really feel that they're alone in the world, and it means a lot to them to show support. Um, and here in Canada, it's very easy to quickly forget the barbaric and still ongoing perpetration of the terrorist attacks on October 7th. Uh, it just seems distant sometimes. But I want to share a testimony of a woman. She's a, a Messianic Jewish Russian speaking woman. And uh, the verse, verses from Psalm 91 became very real to her on October 7th. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. You know, there's so many terrible, terrible stories from that time and, and still. Uh, but this is a, a testimony of faith, and I, I think you'll be encouraged by it. Uh, her name is Katya, and in 2001, this is her, she and her family uh, prayed about where to move in Israel, and they were very specifically directed to move to a kibbutz that happened to be right next to the Gaza border. And there she shared about the good news of Yeshua to many people. But at 6 a.m. on October 7th, they heard very unusual explosions. They couldn't understand what was happening. And their oldest son, Jonathan, who was in the house with his baby, ran to close windows and to lock up. And then they heard automatic weapons. Can you imagine being in your home and hearing automatic we weapons right outside? So she and her husband went into the safe room, which is really built for protection from rockets and missiles. And uh, the picture you see is actually an interview that she did with a Messianic rabbi in Israel about this. You can see it online. It's called Katya's testimony or Katya's story. But they went into the safe room, and it, some of those safe rooms don't even have locks because they're made to keep rockets, to keep safe from rockets. But their son, Jonathan, stayed outside to secure the house. Uh, they had no idea what was going on, but in the WhatsApp group in the kibbutz, there began to be reports of terrorists everywhere in the homes. And they had 11 armed soldiers on the kibbutz, which was not near enough for all these terrorists coming in. Katya called a, gr a group, a WhatsApp group, uh, a believers called the first response team. And actually, someone in our in our Messianic synagogue was in that group. We didn't find out till later, but she was on this WhatsApp prayer call. And Katya, she stood in the middle of the room and she just raised her hands and she said, Yeshua, Yeshua, uh, as this was all going on. And she recited Psalm 91. Um, meanwhile, their younger son, Daniel, was at the music festival where many, many young people were slaughtered. But God gave him wisdom not to run. And he and 15 friends lay down in the woods in a pit 
from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., at which point they were rescued. So he was okay. But the elect they continued in their safe room. The electricity cut off. Um, and at 10.15 a.m., terrorists came in. They had newly installed uh, security cameras, and uh, it caught videos. Can you play that video? It's very short. So this is the terrorists coming into their house. One of them was bleeding. Uh, it's just a very short clip. Um, and Katya and her husband felt, okay, that they were looking death in the face because we know what the terrorists did to those people. Um, and she, so, she told the group, the WhatsApp group, I'll see you in heaven. So the terrorists came inside. One of them was bleeding. They tore apart the cabinets and the refrigerator. They, uh, and then they stopped right outside of the safe room door. And they never tried the handle. Now, most of the people who were in those safe rooms, they were holding for dear life the handles to keep the terrorists from coming in. And they blockaded them. They never tried the handle on the safe room. Um, usually, the first thing the terrorists were doing was throwing a grenade inside, and then they would come in and just shoot right at the safe room door because they knew there were people inside. But they acted as if they didn't even see the handle, and it was just quiet. And then they went to the door where her son Jonathan and his baby were, and they stopped outside. They did not go in the room. Um, and Katya kept whispering, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Um, and she said it was truly a spiritual battle. Uh, and then at about, uh, and they stayed there till 2 a.m. So they went in at 6 in the morning. They stayed all the way through the night in this room without electricity. And at 2 a.m. Uh, the next day, they heard banging on the door, and it was Hebrew. Uh, and she really, they lived through a miracle. Her mother, who was on the kibbutz, actually, no one even came to her house. It was, it was totally miraculous. Some other family there were killed, and some were kidnapped. But the last thing she says in this interview is that we need to be prepared for these last days in spiritual warfare. Um, it's truly an amazing, amazing story. So I wanted to share that with you because, to me, it was very encouraging that in the midst of all this, the name of Yeshua is a powerful name, and Scripture is powerful. So uh, I just want, for a minute, I want to, you know, many times war can seem far away. Uh, we, our three daughters lived in Israel for a probably 12 years. One of them is still there. And we know a lot of people in the army now. Uh, and as a matter of fact, can you put those pictures up? Just to make this real, this is Chaim. We know him very well. He, his job is the tunnels. He's pretty high up there. That's what he does. And he said, I'm coming home alive. He's a believer, Messianic Jew. Next one. This is the... Uh, cousin of someone who attends our congregation. She's a young girl. She is in the army now. 
by the way, the first person, he's on, on reserve. He has that family. This is not his job to go into tunnels. He's not in the army, but he came. Next one. This is a son of good friends of ours, and he's in the Navy, in the reserves also. Uh, next one. This is uh, Shoshi. She's in our congregation, and that's her brother who is in the Army also. These, mo most of these guys are in Gaza. Next one. This is uh, our son-in-law and our daughter. <laughs> She's actually not in the reserves. She put on her old uniform to stand with him, but he is in reserves. He's in the Army. His usual job is a software uh, whatever <laughs> guy, but he doesn't do this. But they all came uh, when they were called. Next one. So this front guy here is alone, and he's a very good friend of ours. He's also in the reserves. He has several kids, and he is in a tank. He was in Gaza for about a month. Just now he was out for a week. And it is very tough. They're not, they're not professional soldiers. They're just family men with jobs. And I think there's one more. That's alone again. He said his sense of humor is what keeps him going in Gaza. So just to make it personal, and thank you so much again for being here. We really appreciate your support for Israel. Well, once again, thank you so much for having us. Uh, here at Big Church and our worship team. It's wonderful to worship the Lord together. And uh, as has been advertised, this is a Love Israel event. <laughs> Praise God. And it's pretty crazy out there. Pretty crazy. All kinds of things going on in social media. In, the, in, in news and so forth. And today I'd like to share three important perspectives that I trust will help you to see things clearly and to have clarity, clarity and conviction regarding Israel and regarding what is going on. There's so much confusion even in the body of Messiah, which there should not be confusion in the body, but there is. And I trust that I'm going to help if anyone here is confused about how to see things clearly. And I specifically want to address the question, how should I, as a believer, a follower of Yeshua, that's Jesus, you know that, Yeshua means salvation. Yeshua the Messiah. How should I as a believer in Yeshua the Messiah view what is going on today? And But first, uh, I want to, on a personal note, share a few things. Janet mentioned it. Uh, she, all three of our daughters made Aliyah. To make Aliyah means to move to Israel. They moved to Israel when they were uh, going to university. All three of them went to university in Herzliya. There's an English-speaking university, but they learned to speak Hebrew fluently. Two of them served in the Israeli Defense Forces. You saw one of our daughters there 
in her uniform with her husband, who just received a promotion to major. He's a major in the IDF, uh, working in intelligence in the West Bank. That's what he does. And actually, John, he's not in IT. He actually is a project manager, but no problem. <laughs> Whatever. That's what they say. Um, now, my daughter Shira, that was Dahlia who you saw, my, Shira, my daughter Shira, during her days in the army, lived in a kibbutz named Cholit. For two years she lived in that kibbutz. That was one of the kibbutzes that was attacked on October 7th. So that's, that's really struck home. Uh, she knows everyone there. Four of her friends were murdered that day on October 7th, and one of them was kidnapped. So this hit really close to our home. The nation of Israel is traumatized, not only by the scope of the attack and the war, but by the savagery and the barbarism which took place on that day of October 7th. Israel considers this to be an existential threat and has declared war. But again, how should we as believers, and maybe there's other leaders here in the body, how should we be viewing things? And so I'm going to propose that we view things with our feet solidly grounded in truth. Without an anchor in the truth, we're going to be blown all over the place. We need to be anchored in truth, in specifically three truths. One, anchored in biblical truth. What does the Bible say about Israel? Secondly, historical truth or historical accuracy. There was so much misrepresentation about what actually happened in history. And then thirdly, moral truth. Having moral clarity to see right from wrong through the fog. So being grounded in these three areas. And if we are not grounded, as I said, in these truths, we could easily be swayed into error... How? Rabbi Shaul spoke about it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons in the latter days. So first, biblical truth about Israel. Now, the body of Messiah um, started in truth. It was grounded Everything began in Israel in, you know, among the Jewish people, and then it went out to the, to the nations. And over time, as you know, a split took place, and there was a division. Christians went one way, Jews went another way. And over time, unfortunately, anti-Semitism creeped into the body of Messiah and the false doctrine of replacement theology where uh, the teaching was that the church has now replaced Israel instead of what Paul said, that Gentiles were grafted in among us 
they taught that they actually replaced. And I believe that that weakened the body, especially when it comes to looking at Israel and the Jewish people. But God is reviving the body. There are many churches like Big Church who has a vision and has a correct theology towards Israel. So I want to go over a teaching that I have that Israel is not better than any other nation. God doesn't love Israel more than any other nation, but Israel is unique and must be discerned by believers. Discernment on the uniqueness of Israel. And that's what I want to impart to you tonight as we look at the biblical truth about Israel. Seven reasons why Israel is unique among the nations. Number one, because of its unique spiritual history. And I want to read Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is where the nation of Israel had its beginning. Now the Lord had said to Avram, I don't know if we can get that up, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. If not, not no problem. He said, uh, he's, you know what God said to Abram? Get out of your country. Get out. <laughs> get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The nation of Israel began with the amazing call of Avram. This is what theologians call divine election. God simply chose Avram and said, I'm going to start a new nation from this man. And of course, this nation has a unique history. It continued through Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob's son Joseph became famous in Egypt and saved the entire nation from starvation during those seven years of famine. Jewish history continues with Moses and the ten plagues. God went in and took the nation out with ten plagues against Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea that provided the way for the nation of Israel to leave Egypt. A cloud led them by day and a pillar of fire by night. Manna was provided for this nation for 40 years in the desert. No other nation has such a history. Joshua led them to the promised land where the walls of Jericho fell down before them. Eminent judges, prophets, and kings arose in Israel, establishing without doubt the uniqueness of the nation of Israel. There is no other nation with a spiritual history like Israel. Secondly, not only our spiritual history, but we have a unique covenant relationship with God. This unique relationship came into being by, again, divine election, 
and backed up with an eternal covenant that God made with Abraham. And I'm going to read Genesis 17, verse 7, where God said to Abraham, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So it's an eternal covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was not nullified by the new covenant. They are parallel covenants. Of course, the new covenant fulfilled the Sinai covenant, the covenant that God made at Sinai, but the covenant of Abraham and the new covenant are both operational today. Okay? And Rabbi Shaul, I call him Paul the Apostle, the Shaliach Shaul, confirmed this in the New Testament. Romans chapter um, Romans chapter 11, Romans 11, verses 28 and 29. And I want to read this. I don't know if we can get that up there. Romans 11. Romans 9, 10, 11 are, are great chapters discussing the Jewish people and their relationship with believers and so forth. Tremendous. And he's, Rabbi Shaul or Paul is speaking to non-Jewish believers. And he's saying in verse 28, concerning the gospel, these Jewish people, especially the ones opposing, they are enemies for your sake. They're enemies of the gospel, those who were opposing. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And then this is a verse that we quote when we talk about gifts of the Spirit or pastoral callings. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The primary context here is Israel's calling as a nation. It didn't pass away. It's irrevocable, Paul says. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's teaching them Israel's calling is irrevocable. This is how we have to look at the nation of Israel today. So a unique covenant relationship. Number three, it's unique relationship with the land that God promised. God's covenant promise to Abraham included inheriting the land as an everlasting possession. If we're going to look at things, don't you think we ought to use the Bible as our primary way of how to filter through what's going on today? What does the Bible say about the land of Israel? Genesis 17 verse 8. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promised the land of Israel to the nation of Israel. Now we know what happened. We were twice scattered from that land. 
And yet, miracle of miracles, God regathered us twice back to the land. The, amen. Let's give God praise. First was the Babylonian captivity in 586 BCE. The Babylonians came and brought, you know, the Jewish people to Babylon, and we were there for 40, uh, 40 70 years. The 70-year captivity, and then three waves of return, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. These were three waves where we returned to the land. Why? Because the Jewish people had to be in the land of Israel for the Messiah to come. We had to be regathered back. And then in 70 AD, it happened again because of our sin. The Bible is very honest about Israel's sin. It was for our own sins that we were scattered. The Romans came and destroyed the nation and the city, and we've been scattered for how long? 2,000 years. That's a long time. And yet, miracle of miracles, 1948, we were regathered back to the land through wars, victorious in wars, and here we are back in our land again. Why? Because the Jewish people have to be in the land of Israel when the Messiah returns. That's why. God knows what he's doing. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. How to look at things, this is how to look at things. Israel has, number four, a unique position among the nations. In Exodus 4.22, it's, God says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. From a spiritual point of view, Israel is the firstborn nation. Israel is first among nations as a firstborn son in a family. And of course, you know in those days, firstborn, there was an inheritance, like a double portion went to the firstborn. It was a lot went to the firstborn. And this is why Paul directed the gospel in Romans 1.16 to the Jew first and also to the nations. And not only that, God's judgment follows this pattern as well. As it says in Romans 2 verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. This is God's order. First among nations. Not only that, God has established a reciprocal relationship between Israel and the nations. According to the way a nation deals with Israel, so God deals with that nation. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's God's reciprocal relationship. Number five, Israel's unique purpose as a nation. No other nation has this kind of history and relationship and so forth. Again, not making the nation of Israel better, 
but a very unique and important position in the world today. It's unique purpose as a nation. God entrusted the nation of Israel with the privilege of bringing forth the word of God. That word of God in your phone or in your Bible on your lap, this comes through the nation of Israel. Rabbi Paul, he says, then what of, in, in Romans chapter 3, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. The very living word of God was entrusted to the nation of Israel. And of course, God's ultimate purpose for Israel was fulfilled when the living word came through the nation of Israel. The Messiah was born among the Jewish people as a Jew, descendant of Abraham and David into the world through the nation of Israel. Number six, its unique contribution to the world. In speaking to the Samaritan woman by the well, Yeshua revealed the tremendous contribution the Jewish people would make to the world. And this tickles me when I think about it. You know what he said in John 4, I think it's verse 22. Salvation is of the Jews. Now that's, think about that for a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't salvation from Yeshua? But look how he identified with his nation. It was him who brought salvation, but he included the nation in his work and said, salvation is of the Jews. That is a unique contribution to the world, my friends. Hallelujah. And furthermore, the Jewish apostles laid the foundation, uh, Jewish apostles and prophets laid the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.20, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. We found it, if, if you will, the body of Messiah through the nation. I'm talking about the uniqueness of this nation, that it must be discerned. And respected. And finally, number seven, it's unique spiritual destiny. God's plan for the nation is not yet complete. There's a great purpose and destiny assigned to the Jewish people. Yes, we've come under a hardening, many of us, over the centuries. But in the last days, God said, thus all Israel shall be saved. There's a prophetic word hanging over the nation. And furthermore, when, when there is this great awakening of the Jewish people, Paul said it would trigger a tremendous revival in the world. 
He said for in, in Romans eleven fifteen, for if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? It's going to bring tremendous revival to the body of Messiah. And furthermore, as I mentioned earlier, the very return of Yeshua is dependent upon the Jewish people. And he said, you will see me no more until you, Israel, say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel will welcome back the Messiah to the earth. Hallelujah. That is a uniqueness that no other nation has. So number one, we need to see things through the eyes of the scriptures. And that's why there's so much opposition against Israel. That's why the God of Israel says he will have, the Lord has sworn, he will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What we see today is a battle between the God of Israel and Amalek, really now the God of Islam. That's what the war is all about. So we need to be rooted and see things through the lens of biblical truth. Number two, we've got to be rooted in accurate historical truth. History is very important, my friends. Very important. And there is gross distortion of history being foisted in world news and social media. There's too much for me to go into, but I want to give you two uh, resources. Number one, this is on our website. It's called Understanding Israel's War. It's about 25 pages, written by Pastor Jim Garlow, a pastor, used to be pastor of Skyline Church in San Diego. Great church, at least under his leadership. Uh, he wrote a brief giving an understanding of history. So go on the website, messianicmandate.com, Messianic Mandate. You can download this, print it, have it in your, read it. It'll help you to get grounded in accurate historical truth. Okay, so that's one article. The, se uh, the second resource, I want to show a five and a half minute video clip by David Brog. Okay, he's in the U.S., he's a believer, and he's a tremendous amount of experience. This uh, video is on PragerU. Not sure if you're familiar with PragerU. These are amazing five-minute videos from a conservative point of view. I'm not going to get into politics here, but nevertheless, they have many videos about Israel, and this is one of them. So if we could roll that clip right now. That's what you hear from UN ambassadors, European diplomats, and most college professors. But what if I told if Israel you just allowed the Palestinians the to have a state of their own, there would be peace in the Middle East, right? That's what you hear from UN ambassadors, European diplomats, and most college professors. But what if I told you that Israel has already offered the Palestinians a state of their own, and not just once? 
but on five separate occasions. Don't believe me? Let's review the record. After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire following World War I, Britain took control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes modern Israel. Seventeen years later, in 1936, the Arabs rebelled against the British and against their Jewish neighbors. The British formed a task force, the Peel Commission, to study the cause of the rebellion. The commission concluded that the reason for the violence was that two peoples, Jews and Arabs, wanted to govern the same land. The answer, the Peel Commission concluded, would be to create two independent states, one for the Jews and one for the Arabs, a two-state solution. The suggested split was heavily in favor of the Arabs. The British offered them 80% of the disputed territory, the Jews the remaining 20%. Yet, despite the tiny size of their proposed state, the Jews voted to accept this offer. But the Arabs rejected it and resumed their violent rebellion. Rejection number one. Ten years later, in 1947, the British asked the United Nations to find a new solution to the continuing tensions. Like the Peel Commission, the UN decided that the best way to resolve the conflict was to divide the land. In November 1947, the UN voted to create two states. Again, the Jews accepted the offer, and again, the Arabs rejected it. Only this time, they did so by launching an all-out war. Rejection number two. Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria joined the conflict, but they failed. Israel won the war and got on with the business of building a new nation. Most of the land set aside by the UN for an Arab state, the West Bank and East Jerusalem, became occupied territory, occupied not by Israel, but by Jordan. Twenty years later, in 1967, the Arabs, led this time by Egypt and joined by Syria and Jordan, once again sought to destroy the Jewish state. The 1967 conflict, known as the Six-Day War, ended in a stunning victory for Israel. Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as the area known as the Gaza Strip, fell into Israel's hands. The government split over what to do with this new territory. Half wanted to return the West Bank to Jordan and Gaza to Egypt in exchange for peace. The other half wanted to give it to the region's Arabs, who had begun referring to themselves as the Palestinians in the hope that they would ultimately build their own state there. Neither initiative got very far. A few months later, the Arab League met in Sudan and issued its infamous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Again, a two-state solution was dismissed by the Arabs, making this rejection number three. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak met at Camp David with Palestinian Liberation Organization Chairman Yasser Arafat to conclude a new two-state plan. Barak offered Arafat a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank, with East Jerusalem as its capital. But the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. In the words of U.S. President Bill Clinton, Arafat was here 14 days and said no to everything. Instead, the Palestinians launched a bloody wave of suicide bombings that killed over 1,000 Israelis and maimed thousands more on buses, in wedding halls, and in pizza parlors. Rejection number four. In 2008, Israel tried yet again. 
Prime Minister Ehud Olmert went even further than Ehud Barak had, expanding the peace offer to include additional land to sweeten the deal. Like his predecessor, the new Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, turned the deal down. Rejection number five. In between these last two Israeli offers, Israel unilaterally left Gaza, giving the Palestinians complete control there. Instead of developing this territory for the good of its citizens, the Palestinians turned Gaza into a terrorist base from which they have fired thousands of rockets into Israel. Each time Israel has agreed to a Palestinian state, the Palestinians have rejected the offer, often violently. So if you're interested in peace in the Middle East, maybe the answer is not to pressure Israel to make yet another offer of a state to the Palestinians. Maybe the answer is to pressure the Palestinians to finally accept the existence of a Jewish state. I'm David Brog, Executive Director of the Maccabee Task Force for Prager University. History. So that's available on PragerU. And again, understanding Israel's war with uh, Jim Garlow. Um, and so we need to be grounded in biblical truth and historically accurate truth. That is historical accurate. It's historically accurate, that presentation right there. Thirdly, the third thing is that we, we need to be rooted also in moral truth. In other words, having moral clarity and conviction so that we're not waffling. We're not like... You know, whichever way the wind blows, that's the way I go. No, we need convictions about right and wrong in today's world. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says this. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both are an abomination to the Lord. Moral clarity, for example on the Hamas charter that calls for Israel's obliteration. I have the 1988 Hamas charter right here. It's available online. In other words, what are they all about? Who is this organization? Here's uh, Article 6. The Islamic Resistance Movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Okay, that's what they're all about. And there's a little clause here on the destruction of Israel. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. That's what they're about. Let's have moral clarity on this. Hamas is about taking over every inch of the land and every Jew obliterated. Okay? And the call to jihad. You see, Islam says if, if a land once belonged to Islamic uh, peoples, then it always belongs to them. And they're under an obligation to wage jihad until it's back under their rule. 
So that's why it says here the call to jihad. The day the enemies usurp part of a Muslim land, jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim. In the face of the Jews' usurpation, it is compulsory that the banner of jihad be raised. See, it's, it's really a war against the God of Islam and the God of Israel. That's basically what it's about here. So when you hear them chant in these rallies, from the river to the sea, a lot of people don't even, they don't even know what river and what sea they're talking about. But it's the Mediterranean to the Jordan, from the river to the sea. That means no Jewish people in between. It's calling for a destruction of, of the Jewish nation. On October 7th, approximately 3,000 Hamas terrorists invaded the nation of Israel. They murdered some 1,400 Jewish people, mostly unarmed civilians. They kidnapped 243 people. But the perverse and sadistic brutality reveals how demonic it was. This was a demonic attack. There are many stories. I'm not going to go over a lot. And I have sources for all of these. They discovered 20 children. Hamas had piled them up together and burned them alive. This is demonic destruction. You know, we as believers can't hide from the truth. We want to make it far, far away, but it's really important we know what happened. I mean, we don't have to be totally immersed in it, but you can't just hide from this. This is really important. Hamas gouged out the eyes of one husband before going on to cut his wife's breasts off and chop his daughter's leg off. These are facts. That was in the Daily Mail. One gunman cut open a pregnant mother's stomach and killed her baby in front of her. This is the kind of demonic murder that took place. On and on and on. There was torture. There were beheadings. There was rape. This was a demonic horde that came into the nation of Israel. I'm sorry to have to share this. It's not pleasant to have to share these things. But this is so grossly immoral, so perverse, so despicable that Israel had to declare war on Hamas. There was no other option. Hamas, they were gloating in what they did, and they said, and we'll do it again. There's no other option, my friends. There is a time for war as it says in Ecclesiastes. There is a time for war and a time for peace. This is a time for war for the nation of Israel. And not only that, it's important to know, and I want to read from the New Testament. I'm going to close in just a minute. But this is important to understand morally. The moral, is it right that, there, that this war is the right thing to do? And yes, civilians do get killed. No one likes that. No one is looking for that. But it happens in every war. Romans 13. 
talking about government, the purpose of governments. And it says um, in verse 3, for rulers or government are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now listen to this. This is, this is the new covenant. For he, meaning the government or representatives of the government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I maintain this is exactly what the government of Israel is doing against evil. They do not bear the sword in vain. Pro-Hamas rallies are evil, and they stir up anti-Semitism. Palestinian leaders are terrorists, Israel's leaders are not. Again, we have to have clarity on what is going on here. Israel is not an apartheid state. Arabs live and work and vote in Israel. Israel is at war with Hamas, not Palestinians. There is no Palestinian genocide going on at all. The reason that so many civilians are being killed is because Hamas terrorists embed themselves in populations there. That's why. We have to have clarity on these things. There is no moral equivalency between Israel and Hamas. Amen? Amen. So the question is, and I want to close, I want to pray for you. What can you do as a believer in Messiah? Well, we need to see the uniqueness of Israel through biblical eyes, as I shared, and share it with others. Be rooted and grounded in biblical truth, not shaking, but solidly grounded. Grounded in historical truth. Download this article, read it, watch that video again, get some you know, historical uh, accuracy and background. And thirdly, have this moral clarity and conviction I'm talking about because, my friends, this could very well be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer moment for the church. You remember Dietrich He was, you know, trying to rally uh, German believers against Hitler in those days. But very few followed him. He was sounding the alarm. This could be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer moment for the church to stand up and speak out and take a stand for the nation of Israel, for what is right, for the biblical revelation. You can pray. Pray for the nation of Israel. Stand with Israel. Tonight is a testimony that you are standing with Israel. Speak out against anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism wherever you see it. Draw near to your Jewish neighbors. How many have Jewish neighbors? You know some Jewish people. You know what? Give them a call. 
knock on the door, say, you know, we're with you. We just want you to know we're with the nation of Israel. If there's anything we can do, please let me know. Here's my phone number. Wow. Let me tell you, Jewish people need friends today. Now is the day to be a friend to the Jewish nation. Express your love and support. Call the local synagogue. Let them know you're praying. If there's anything we can do, we're standing with Israel. And finally, I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. I want to invite you onto the walls that surround Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Isaiah 62, verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Amen. I want to ask, would you please stand up? Yeah, let's give God praise. Just some background. Hallelujah. Lord, I want to pray tonight for big church and others from other area churches that are here from the Barry area, Lord God. Lord, we release our blessing and Lord, pray for your increased blessing upon this congregation, upon believers in Barry. We pray for a great revival here, a great awakening, a great outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, a great boldness of faith, a great growing in vision and hope, Lord God, and a growing in love and experience in the Lord. Thank you for this. We look to you to release your power and your grace here tonight. In the name of Yeshua, I pray for the Jewish people in this area, the Lord, they would be surrounded and comforted and that it would even lead to their salvation. We thank you for the vision that you have for Israel and for the body. There's an eternal bond between Israel and the body of Messiah. An eternal bond, Lord. Bless that bond. Bless it, Lord God. And release your favor in Yeshua's name, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc. Thank you.